but as I was kind of preparing that and thinking through those notes, I kept having this other thought that was so pervasive in my mind, I couldn't quite shake it. And I uh, kind of went back and forth with God. I was like, God, I, you know, it's Father's Day. I need to do a Father's Day message. But as much as I tried, I couldn't get away from what, what I'm going to preach to you this morning. And I, I do believe that it is what God needs the church to hear. What, what God needs for this church to continue on the trajectory that we're going, we need to hear what I'm about to say this morning. Now, it's been almost two weeks since Nebraska Conference. It's kind of hard to believe it's already been that long. It was a phenomenal couple of days that brought unity to the district. Now, if you've come to this church for any length of time in the past couple months, you've heard Pastor Powell say that we're not in a new season, but we're in a shift. Difference being is that seasons come and go, but a shift is a permanent change. It's a permanent change in the way we operate within the spirit. It's a permanent change in the way that we view ministry. It's a permanent change in the way that we understand our purpose for serving God. I believe that the, the Nebraska district at large kind of got hold of that shift during Nebraska conference as well. We've already heard numerous great reports from across our state of God restoring backsliders, God healing the sick, God bringing uh, prodigals home, God renewing people who, who have been depressed. We've already heard a lot of these messages, and, uh, and I believe that it's only the beginning that we're going to continue to see the mighty acts of God within our church and within our state. But there's been something laying very heavy on my heart for the past week. You see, I had every intention, like I said, to stand before you and teach about fatherhood. But no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't shake this horrible four-letter word. A word that every single person in this room is most likely well acquainted with. A word so damaging that if we are not careful, we will allow it to rob us of our promise. If you will allow me just for a little bit, I want to teach to you on this title, Don't Allow the Pain of Your Past to Stop You from Possessing Your Promise. Don't allow the pain of your past to stop you from possessing what God has for you. Now, I want to look to a very familiar story. So if you will turn with me to Genesis chapter 37, and you may stay seated. We're going to go through quite a few verses here. But we're going to start our journey in understanding how to not allow our pain to rob us of our future. We're going to look to Genesis 37 in the story of Joseph. Starting in verse 1 of Genesis 37, it says this, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. Now, as I've read this story many, many times over, that last verse always bothered me a little bit. It said that Jacob loved Joseph more than all of his other sons. And being a father myself, I have three daughters. They're all different. They're all unique. And there's, there's things that I love about them all individually. 
but I don't know that I would, at least I would never say out loud, that I love one of them more than the other, right? As parents, our job is to love our children unconditionally, to love them all the same, to not put one above the other. So why then do we find this passage where it says that Jacob loved Joseph more than all of his children? Now, to really kind of understand this, to wrap your brain around this, this statement, you have to kind of understand who Jacob was. You see, Jacob had inherited the promise that first started with Abraham. But now Jacob is an old man. He most likely thought that his part of the promise was done. That he had had his children and now his ministry was all complete. He had done his duty. But yet in Jacob's old age, God gives him another son. And this son was a reminder to Jacob that God was not done with him yet. Nor was he done with the nation of Israel, nor was he done with mankind at large. So to honor this promise, to honor this blessing, he made Joseph a coat of many colors. The coat was symbolic. It was symbolizing the promise being continued on through the children of Jacob. Now pick up in verse 4. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed, for behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and, all, uh, and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood around about and made obeisance to my sheaf, that bowed down to his sheaf. Verse 8, And his brethren said to him, Shall thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. If you have siblings, especially if you have older siblings, you may be able to, to relate with the older siblings here. Here is their younger pipsqueak brother coming to them and saying, yeah, one day all of you are going to bow down to me. And I believe that Joseph had the most uh, pure of intentions and motivations in sharing this promise. I, I can't find that it says that he was doing this in a braggadocious manner or, or to belittle his brothers. But no doubt his brothers heard it in that way. Who do you think you are, Joseph? You're the runt of the litter. And we're going to bow down to you? And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee on the earth? Okay, so now we went from just his brothers being mad at him, but now the father who loved him more than all his brethren, the father who gave him the coat of many colors, the father who had looked at Joseph as the continuation of the promise. Now when he's confronted with this dream, he becomes angry with Joseph. Joseph, who do you think you are saying that your father and mother will bow down to you? Verse 11, and his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying, and his brethren went to feed their, flock, their father's flocks in Shechem. 
And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? Verse 16, And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him, and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him. And we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands, to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass, when Joseph was come down unto his brethren, they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. You need to understand what the coat of many colors represents. The coat of many colors was a representation of God's promise. It was a representation given to Joseph by his father that he was going to be the one continuing on the, the, the promise that was given first to Abraham, the very promise that differentiated the, the Israelites from all other people on the earth. Every person under the sound of my voice needs to know that we all have been given a promise. A promise that exceeds anything that we could ever accomplish on our own. God has a purpose for your life. God loves you and has called you to do something amazing. And the fruit of that calling is eternal in its reward. I remember as a young teenager hearing the voice of God so clear calling me to teach. But like Joseph, I had some people in my life saying, who do you think you are? We know where you come from. We know the lineage you have. Who do you think you are that you have a promise from God. I remember one particular individual, and I'm not going to go into the whole story, but I remember him saying to me on more than one occasion, that whole church thing, it's fake. Those people aren't real. They're all hypocrites. I don't know why you, why you go to that church. It's, it's all fake. You see, there will be times in your pursuit of the promise that you will experience so much hurt, so much disappointment, and so much betrayal that you will fall into a pit of despair. And in that moment, that pit seems endless. It can feel like your coat of promise has been ripped from your back. It becomes so dark that it seems impossible that you will ever find your way out. And what can make the hurt so much worse is where it often comes from. You see, Joseph wasn't cast into the pit by the Philistines. 
He wasn't cast into the pit by Egyptians. He was cast into the pit by his own brothers, his family, the one who should have been protecting him, the ones who should have been providing for him, the ones who should have been looking out for his safety were the very ones who took him and threw him into a pit. The one who looked at his promise and said, we're jealous of what you have and we're not going to let you have it anymore. So they ripped the coat from the very back of Joseph. They tossed him into a pit of despair. I tried to imagine myself being in that pit. The emotions that must have been running through the mind and heart of Joseph. Wondering, what did I do wrong? Why was I so bad that my family forsook me? What was it in my own life that made them feel that they had no choice but to cast me aside? The Bible doesn't say this, but I I believe looking at human nature, Joseph had to have a sense of hopelessness. Even if it was just a fleeting thought. I can't believe that him and his flesh didn't at least for a moment think, God, how am I going to get out of this? How are you going to get me through this pit that I'm in? That moment, I believe is a moment we often find ourselves in where we become susceptible to hearing the voice of the enemy whispering in our ear, See, Joseph, you're not special. You're you're nothing special. Who do you think you are? And if we're not careful, we will hear that voice long enough that we will begin to believe it. It will take root within our own hearts and we will look at ourselves The way the enemy sees us. Not special. Not called out. Just someone to be tossed aside. You see the enemy thought that if he could just strip the coat from off the back of Joseph. He would stop the promise in its very tracks. He thought that if he could remove the promise from Joseph. God would have failed. And the enemy would have succeeded. There are times in your life you may have had that very thought. Well, God, I guess the enemy won. The promise you gave to me can't come to pass now. Look at where I am. Look at the mistakes that I've made. Surely my coat has been stripped from my back. Please hear what I'm trying to say to you. There's revival happening. There's miraculous things taking place. But if we are not careful, the voice of the enemy will whisper in our ears, you can't be a part of that. God can't use you to bring revival to your neighborhood, to your family, to your church. God can't use you. Who do you think you are? But I'm here to tell you that is a lie from the pits of hell. That is not true. And if you only need to know one thing, it's this. The Bible says that the the enemy is a liar and the father of it. And therefore, if the enemy is whispering in your ear that you have failed, that you can't be used, you automatically know from out of the gate it's a lie. 
because he is the father of lies. He cannot tell the truth. So when you hear that voice in your ear saying, who do you think you are? It's a lie from the enemy. You don't have to debate over it. You don't have to try to rationalize in your mind and justify yourself for the good deeds you've done. You don't have to justify yourself because of your education. You just simply need to know that the Bible tells us the enemy is a liar and the father of it. When I hear his voice, I know automatically it is a lie. But if you don't believe me, flip over to chapter 39 of Genesis. Listen to what this says. In verse 1 of chapter 39. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him, or bought him out of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. You see, the coat of many colors is not the promise. It's simply an image of the promise. Sometimes we mistake the titles that we have the positions that we're in, the money in our bank account as being the promise. So when that title is stripped from our backs, when that thing that we had so wanted to be, the teacher, the preacher, the evangelist, the minister of, of whatever you want to be, when we have that coat of that ministry stripped from our backs, we believe we have lost the promise. But you have to know that the coat is not the promise. The promise comes from God. And therefore there is nothing in this world that can strip the promise away from you. There is nothing that the enemy can do to strip the promise from you. Because you didn't give yourself the promise. The enemy didn't give you the promise. But the God of eternity gave you the promise. The God of this universe, the one who just spoke and worlds came into existence. The one who simply spoke and plants began to grow. The one who just spit in the dirt and created man in his own image. He is the author of your promise. And there is nothing this world can do to take that promise Amen. away from you. See, the enemy wants you to believe that you aren't where you think you should be. He wants you to believe that because your coat was taken from you, that God is done with you. See, God is finished with you. You've been removed from your position. You've, you've had your title stripped away from you. All that money in your bank account left, and now you're broke. God is done with you. But I have good news. You see, as long as Joseph was the young teenager parading around in his colorful coat, he would never become God's vessel in Egypt. Sometimes 
We look at, the, at what we lost and think God hates us. But when in reality, it is God who is the very one stripping the coat from our backs because he needs to move us into a different position. It is God who is trying to position you to a place where you can do more for the kingdom than you ever could have done with that past coat. But we get so fixated, so worried about this is my title. You, you can't preach because I'm the preacher. You can't teach a Bible study because I'm the teacher. We cling on to our coats so tight that we can't see that God is trying to move us into another dimension. He's trying to push us into a higher level for the kingdom of God. But to be moved into that position, you have to let go of the things of the past. Which sometimes means even letting go of the thing you were waiting for. Because God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. See, we think we know what we have to do. We think we know how we can best serve the kingdom. But you're not the author of your promise. You don't get to dictate the extent to which your promise is carried out. You don't get to dictate how you think the promise should be done. Only the author does. The character in a fiction novel doesn't determine whether he's a hero or a villain. He doesn't determine who he ends up with. It's the author who determines the end of the story. This is why the scripture tells us that he is the author and the finisher. You see, sometimes we believe that God is the author. But in our pit of despair, we forget that he's also the finisher. We think that the enemy has finished us off. That our mistakes have finished us off. That's not what the word says. The word said he is both the author and the finisher. That means it's not over until God says it's over. You're not done until God says you're done. I've come to encourage some people this morning. Because the thing that God has in store for this church, for this state for this country, for this world. The revival that God has in store will only be brought forth if we will let go of the coat mentality. We will let go of holding on to what we think should happen. And do what Joseph said. When, when Joseph's father called him and said to go unto his brothers, remember, these are the same brothers that, that cursed him. These are the same brothers that early said, who do you think you are? But when Joseph's father said, hey, I have a job for you. What does Joseph say? Here am I. Here am I. Look at Genesis chapter 41. Now, I have read the story of Joseph more than once. I'm sure probably everyone in here has heard the story of Joseph. Sometimes we need to hear a story more than once because depending on where we are in our walk, depending on where we are within the, the climate of our church, sometimes God has different things he needs to say to his people. Listen to what it says in verse 39 of chapter 41. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God has showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. 
And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. Now, we know that it wasn't truly Pharaoh who set him over all the land of Egypt. He was positioned where God wanted him to be. But you see, Joseph then is confronted by the very people who threw him into the pit. Imagine with me, if you can, that the person who abused you, the person who lied to you, the person who broke your trust time and time and time again, now stands before you. Just for a moment, try to put yourself in Joseph's place. What thoughts and emotions might have been running through his head as he comes face to face with the people who stripped his coat away. Who comes, he comes face to face with the people who left him for dead in that pit of despair. But as all of the emotions, emotions flow in, what you do in that moment will determine how God can use you. Do you allow that pain to cause you to lash out? Do you allow that hurt to cause you to seek revenge? Do you allow the disappointment to stop believing altogether? But what was Joseph's promise? See, you might be tempted to say that Joseph, Joseph's promise was simply to have his brothers and his parents bow down to him. I mean, it seems that's what his dream said, right? His dream said that, that his, his brothers and his parents would bow down to him. Sometimes we think that that's the promise that was given to Joseph. But that's not the promise God had for Joseph. It's not the promise. It was only the pathway. Look at Genesis chapter 45, verse 3. Sometimes you need to know. that God gives you a vision for something to come to pass. But when God puts you in a position or in a title... That's not the promise. That's only the pathway. Look at verse 3. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. I guess so. When they realized that they were standing before Joseph, now second in command in Egypt, the one who they tried to kill, and they have full understanding that Joseph just needs to speak the word, and they would be killed. I can imagine why they'd be a little afraid. So to speak, all their chickens came home to roost. And now they were going to face judgment in their mind. But listen to how Joseph responds when faced with all the hurts. When faced with all the anger, all the despair, all the broken trust from his own family. Listen to what he says. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Ooh, now Joseph's going to get him. Now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in which there shall neither be earring nor harvest. 
And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Did you hear that? It was God who allowed Joseph to be sold into slavery. It was God who allowed for that coat of many colors to be stripped from his back. It was God who allowed him to be sent to Potiphar's house. It was God who allowed him to be thrown into jail. It was God who allowed him to be lied on. Why would, a, why would God do that? He's so mean, right? But God had to put Joseph in a place to fulfill the promise. You see, if you hang on to your coat so tightly that you don't allow God to put you in positions where you can be hurt, you don't allow God to, to make you vulnerable, you will also stop God from positioning you to carry out the promise. Sometimes when we look back over our own lives, we can see the horrible things that have happened. And in that moment, we don't understand why, but, but now I know that was God moving me. That was God positioning me. That was God breaking me down on the inside to get rid of my pride. To remove the stumbling blocks that would have prevented me from doing what God wanted me to do. You see, the promise that God has for you is only a little bit about you. What I mean by that is this. God's promise for your life it's not just to make you prosperous and money. It's not just to put you into a big house. God's promise for you is not just simply to make you the, the, the bishop over a church. All of those things are great. And God loves his people. But the promise he has for you is the same that he wants for every person who walks this earth. To spend eternity in relationship with him. And therefore, when God is positioning you for the promise, it is so you can help others have that relationship. Help others find that eternal salvation. Because there is no greater war, reward than hearing him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's why the writer wrote that he reckoned that the, the sufferings of this present world can't even be compared to the things to come. You see, in our flesh, we see things the way they are. And sometimes a spirit of depression comes over us and says, it's hopeless. I don't know how to move forward from where I am. I see that God has removed this, this coat from my life, and I don't know what I'm going to do now. You need to know that the, the reward that God has for you supersedes any coat you could ever put on. It supersedes any title you could ever hold. It supersedes any position in a job or, or degree that you can earn. The promise that God has for you is eternity. It's to take off this corruptible and put on incorruption. It's to leave behind the hurt and the wickedness of this world. It is to be in his presence forever. You see, instead of allowing his past to destroy him, 
He sought God and realized that it was his pain that positioned him right where God wanted him all along. Now, as bad as the pain caused by others is, there is another pain that for some people is far more effective in stopping them from possessing the promise. When we read the story of Joseph, we can say that Joseph was able to, to do what he did was because Joseph didn't do anything wrong. Joseph didn't make any mistakes that caused him to be in the pit. Joseph didn't make any mistakes that caused him to be in Potiphar's house. Joseph didn't make any mistakes that caused him to be thrown in prison. Therefore, because Joseph, you know, he didn't mess up, there, that, that's why God could position him. That's why God could do what he did with him. And we begin to sell ourselves on a lie that says, you don't know my past. You don't know the mistakes I've made. You don't know the things that I've said, the things that I've done, the ways that I've hurt other people. God can't use me. I'm unredeemable. So how do you deal with this, this lie? How do you deal with this emotion that says, my past is too checkered for me to be used by God? I love God, but God can't use me because I've made too many mistakes. I know I'm speaking to some people in this room. Because when I was writing these notes, God quickened faces in my mind. God brought to my mind people who are under this weight of self-doubt, this weight of condemnation that makes you feel that you can't do all that God wants you to do because of who you were. But God doesn't see who you were. God sees who you can be. God does not call perfect people. God perfects the people he calls. Your value to the kingdom is not based on your title. It's not based on your lineage. And most importantly, it is not based on your past. See, Jesus talked about this when he said to Peter, he said, Peter, Satan wants to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. And when you've been converted... you will have power to do what I need you to do. You see, Peter was called by God. Peter walked with Jesus through his earthly ministry. But Peter had some issues with doubt sometimes. And when Jesus was taken prisoner, what did he do? When he was confronted, he doubted Jesus. He denied that he knew Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. The Bible says he even went as far as to curse. To say that he doesn't know who that man is. I don't know him. Just leave me alone. And in that moment, I can imagine that Satan is whispering in the ear of Peter saying, See, you're still just that dumb fisherman who ha who's been brash his whole life. You're just that poor fisherman who doesn't know how to control his temper, that can't control his anger, that's always spouting off at the mouth. And now look what you did. You denied your rabbi. You denied Jesus, who you believe to be the Messiah. 
How could God ever use you? And in that moment, Satan was trying to sift Peter. But God already knew who Peter was going to be. Not just who he was. We know that Jesus comes back to Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes. Jesus says again, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And one final time, Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes. And what does he say? Then feed my sheep. You see, you can't feed the sheep of God until you realize that your value is not based on you. Your value and your worth to the kingdom is not based on the mistakes of your past. Your value is determined solely by who God is. Your value, your worth, and ultimately your potential is based on the righteousness of Christ. That's why we are called to put on His righteousness. That's why we are called to reflect His perfection. And if our value is based on His righteousness, do you know what that means? It means your value is priceless. It means your worth is immeasurable. It means your past is erased. If you allow yourself to be defined by who God is, your value has no end, no limit, because God has all things. He is the owner of all things. When the Bible says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hilltop, it's not a literal statement to say that he owns a thousand cattle. It's an understanding, it's an idiom to mean that God is in control and owns all things. There is nothing this world can do to try to be more valuable than what God is. And therefore, when God puts himself into you, your value is immeasurable. So what do we do when we are ambushed with these feelings of worthlessness? Because church, I promise you, as we continue to grow and see revival, there will still be moments that we will all face and where we begin to doubt ourselves. We begin to think, maybe I'm not quite good enough. How do we respond to this? Well, let's look at a man who, who was very familiar with this. Got about a minute left. I'm going to try to get through this. Let's look at David, someone who's well acquainted with making mistakes. Look at Psalms 103, and I'm, I'm going to read through these quickly. But listen, you need to hear what David says here in this psalm. Because if this will be your prayer, if this will be your perspective, if this will be what you meditate on in those moments, I promise you, God will move you out of the pit of despair. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all of thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction who crowneth thee with a loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Oh, what does that mean? We know the story of the eagle, right? That he, he, over time he gets rid of his beak and it's replaced with something new. You see, God's value in you is this, that he erases your past and he puts you instead in his perfection. 
You see, when the devil says you're too broken to do what God wants you to do, you say, I may be broken, but I know the healer. I may be depressed, but I know the God of peace. I may be poor in spirit, but I know the God who is all-powerful. There is nothing that God cannot do if we will just reflect on his beauty, if we will bless his holy name. You see, verse 6 says, The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment over all those that are oppressed. It is he who made known his ways unto Moses. It is he who does acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger. Thank you. Thank you, God, that you are slow to anger. Thank you that you don't respond the way that I do. The way that I, I tend to, to lash out sometimes when I'm hurt, when I feel mad. I can't control my tongue. But oh, that God is slow to anger. That his mercy endureth forever. Church, let's all stand. Let me just leave you. Let me leave you with this proclamation. Fear is not your future. God's perfect peace is. Sickness is not your story. God's healing purchased by his stripes is. A broken heart is not your home. A mended heart full of love is. And death is not the end. It is simply the doorway to eternity. Let's pray. Lord, I am so grateful for your mercy. I'm so grateful for who you are, that I am not defined by my mistakes, but I am defined by your righteousness, oh God, that my worth is not determined by my lineage. Oh, but it's in who you are. Lord, you are the king of all kings. You are the Lord above all lords. There is no one beside you, none before you. There shall be none after you. You are the alpha and the Omega, and we thank you and give you all glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Come back in the second half, being ready to bless the Lord with all your soul.